it's always good. The pad is always a place that um, it's like the procrastination thing. Um, when you start practicing something, you suddenly remember all these things that you have to do. They're so important. I must do them now. Ah, and I can't do the thing I'm sat down doing, which is actually playing or practicing. And uh, I've kind of got into a you know a nice habit before doing these recordings of, of sitting down at the pad for a, you know a bit and just sort of playing and not practicing anything, just just playing, sort of improvising. Uh, I like the um, I like the limitation of the pad. I like the sort of idea of getting sounds uh, out of the pad. But it sort of, it ties in the, fee the feeling at the pad when suddenly the brain starts to, the brain starts to work and uh, start to think about stuff to do, other stuff to do. Um, kind of links in with today's topics, you know, or topic, or I don't know if it's a topic or topics, but I was just sort of thinking about these three different, uh, the three C's, and it's nothing to do with the current coronavirus. Um, the, uh, I think it's the Japanese health kind of advice. Um, I can't remember what it is. I was just remembering it on the news. It's about cleaning hands and um, I don't know what the rest of it is. Sort of some sort of clapping or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, there's this. I had this idea of the, the, the title of this podcast. If you've seen it, you know, is this idea of cycles, circles, and concepts. Now they're all kind of separate, um, separate subjects. But um, even now, just thinking about this idea of what I was going to talk about today and what I've been thinking about this last two weeks, more than two weeks, um, <clears throat> it kind of feels like they're going to be linked to each other. Because um, the fourth C in this is concentration. Um, and this is where this begins, you know, because the, the thing of concentrating when we practice um, is something that I think is um, it's maybe not something that we're uh, designed to do, you know, I don't know, you know the, I, I was listening to I listened to this guy called Cal Newport, I mentioned it before this um, podcast called um, Deep Thinking or Deep Work or Deep, let me know what it's called it's called Deep Questions, that's the title of it, but there's things like Deep Work Deep um, Deep Thought um, and deep thinking and all these th things that he talks about in the podcast. But one of these things he was talking about in his, in his previous episode of his, I think it's 36 or 37, he was talking about this idea of um, this kind of habit tune-up thing and, and saying that, you know, concentration is not something that humans are particularly designed to do. And I, I'm, I don't even really know if I know anything about that statement, really. But I, it kind of really stuck with me this week because I found it, um, you know, even at nearly nearly the age of 50, 49, coming on 50 in, in a month, um, you know, don't, um, don't hide the presence. Um, 
it's just that idea of like you live and learn, you know. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know whether we, you know, that. Con- I mean, I was joking with a friend of mine a few years ago about the live and learn thing, and he was like, "Yeah, you don't do it really." <clears throat> and you know, with some things we don't because we we draw, aren't we? But with other things, these these little things change the way we see um, ourselves, and it was a profound thing. It's like it really changed this the way that I. Um, feel about how rubbish I am at concentrating, you know, basically. And then maybe I was like, I just suddenly had this thought, like maybe, maybe I'm never, I was never meant to be any good at concentrating. It's all fine, you know. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe I'm just, what I've been doing all these years has been fine, you know. It's been, um, it's been as effective as it can be. You know, maybe I've just been over trying at it. And there's always that thing I talk a lot with my students about the trying um, concept, you know. Um, these sort of two phrases that always come to mind, you know, there's that sort of school phrase, that phrase that patronising sort of phrase that um, teachers or parents talk about a child that's not particularly doing well. You go, oh, a trier. Oh, she's a trier, you know. Oh, he's, he's a real trier, isn't he? And it like it's just nothing great about that statement, you know. It's it's just it means that somebody's like basically flailing about, you know, failing and uh, you know probably not being helped, you know. Probably well, it feels almost like those statements, like like people are observing and enjoying the sort of the the trier, you know. Oh, it's nice to look at a trier. I feel better about myself because I'm shit as well, you know. Pardon my. But the other one is. Um, just that thing of when something somebody's being trying, you know, it's like, oh God, it's like being around this person, it's so trying, it's so like energy sapping and inspirationless and just like it's it, it's, it's taking more effort to be able to just kind of be around this person than than that the, the, the value of of what the top relationship or the, the thing means, you know, it's, it's more energy going into and so I always talk about this thing about, you know, we, we shouldn't try. Uh, we should have more systematic uh, ways of um, doing things, you know, and don't try hard, you know, like um, just be be organised. Understand what it is you're trying to do and make sure you can remember it. Make time for it and, um, and do it with... Um, you know, do it with some joy if you can. Do it with a smile on your face. I always say that. I was saying that to somebody today, one of my students today. Like, um, when you're practising, I was just saying to her, just, you know, practice with a smile on your face. And I, I said, you know, I, I, when a drum kit sounds good, it's a, it's a happy drum, it's a happy sound, it's a happy drum kit. It, it, the sound smiles, you know. Do you ever, did you ever hear Eric Harland or Brian Blade or, you know... Um, any of these, you know, um, these amazing people, you know, Kareem Riggins or something. Do you ever hear any of these people ever, their drums never sound like they're smiling, you know. They just sound like, even when they're playing like heavy, darkest, most abstract shit, you know, it's, the drums just, they sound like they're doing what they're supposed to do, you know. And, uh, and so I, I, that's, you know, I'm always talking about that thing. People, some people think I'm off, off my head, you know, but that's fine. It's kind of like, it's a good, it's a positive energy. That's the way I look at it. You're, you're giving a positive energy. So, you know, if people choose to view that as insanity, that's okay. Um, 
I would just say have an open mind, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah, so yes, like this is already like going off in so many different directions. But it was a kind of, you know, the plan today, again, is that I, I wrote down these three Cs. It's four Cs, actually, because there's concepts, cycles, circles, concepts, and concentration. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing about concentration in, in one respect is it can it can make you sit down and do a thing and in that the space of that stuff occurs you know all there's the sort of single task concentration which you know stay on task stay on this thing you know this this podcast is, for me is is a um, it's a it's a place to come to to focus once a week. Sorry, it's not been a couple of weeks. I've missed a few weeks. Uh, it's not um, been a bit busy at work. So, but normally it's a weekly thing. Try and do a weekly thing, you know. And uh, been pretty good. We're episode forty, by the way. Just for anybody who's listening and cares, um, it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything, does it? it? Doesn't mean anything different than thirty nine, I suppose. But um, but yeah, forty felt. I just looked at the numbers there, saved my little project in logic, cycles, circles, concepts, hashtag 40, which is for number 40. There's no hashtag vibe involved in this. Um, and, yeah, it's just that kind of, uh, you know, concentrating in this this space is like I always come to do these recordings, these episodes, because it's an archive for me, you know, it's a way of getting things recorded and down. So it, um, it, it'd be interesting to look at the titles over, because it's nearly a year now. I started this podcast last November, and um, it's nearly a year. And uh, yeah, and, managed, and hopefully by you know in the year, it'll be 42, 43 episodes, maybe by the time we get they do the anniversary, the big anniversary episode which will be some sort of weird 42 or 3, which is a nothing number, which is good. Um, but, you know, if we ever get to the dizzy heights of, um, I don't know, 5,000 episodes or something, which is, yeah, I'd be dead by that time. Um, let's think of a more sensible figure. You know, like f episode 600 or something. I mean, I made a commitment because I, I pay for my hosting now for this podcast. I made a commitment, financial commitment. Um, and uh, I set up this, um, I kind of set this Patreon page up because um, somebody a long time ago, someone that I chat to on Instagram, very, very occasionally, um, a drummer over in America or Canada, I'm not sure. Um, and they were saying to me, you should set up a Patreon page. And I was like, well, what's that? You know, why, you know? And um, and they were saying, well, it's just a place for if people want to kind of, you know, contact you or support you in any way, they can, you know. And uh, so a f quite a few weeks ago, I sort of eventually set a page up for this podcast, you know, and it's, um, yes, yeah, I've not advertised it to anybody. So nobody's, <laughs> literally nobody's been involved in it. But there was kind of, you know, there was going to have this two tier thing. One was like just someone who wants to donate. And then the second thing was like a kind of um, people that fancied having a lesson once a month. And it's, it's, it's quite, you know, it's pro rata, it's quite cheap. And it's like a 40 minute lesson once a month via, you know, Zoom or something like that, Skype or something. Um, so the page was, well, I made this commitment to basically buying hosting for my 
my podcast. And the reason why was because I upload these podcasts and they have a certain size, you know. And on the platform I use, you see Podomatic, um, they, yeah, there was only like, this, I was running out of room basically quite quickly because I got up to episode kind of 20. And um, I did the maths on it. I was like, I'm going to run out of space here, you know. So I paid for this yearly thing and they did me this amazing deal, um, really, really amazing deal on um um, on the, I, I was like chatting to the couple, the, the guys that run it, you know, about a few things, and then I was like, uh, I was asking them about more stories. I didn't need the bandwidth because only like three people listen to this or something. Um, and uh, they were saying, oh, if you put this code in, you can have this package for this amount, you know. And it was like a no-brainer, really. I mean, it was a uh, like hundred dollars for the year. Um, and then recently I noticed that they've upgraded uh, the, the storage to unlimited. So it, there was still a limited storage thing. And I was like thinking, and I was saying to my, you know, my, my other half, I was saying, I'm going to eventually going to run out of room anyway, regardless of having this great deal, because I'm going to have to go to the top package because I'm going to end up running out of room because it's still, there's still a ceiling on the, um, the amount of room. It's like 200 gig, but... You know, once you're up to episode, you know, 55,423, like I'm going to obviously, then, you, you know, you're going to get to a point where you, you're running out of headspace. So, um, but no, anyway, so they upgraded this thing to, so the, um, but the idea behind the Patreon, yeah, was to have this kind of two-tier thing. Somebody could have a, it was like, like a supporter thing, very, very small amount of money just to support the podcast. And then another thing was just to have a lesson and, um, and a, like a, uh, an ask anything kind of thing this thing they call um i can't remember what it's called now it's like ask any question or something it's like a once a week thing and the idea was to sort of build a bit of a community with it um but the problem is with me is i just don't, i just don't do anything about any of these things you know i do the podcast and that takes time to do it and i enjoy doing it and i sort of you know mix it and save it and upload it and write a bit of blurb and then just have to get on with the other five thousand things that i'm doing especially at the moment, which is why, by the way, I've just not two weeks. It's just been a nightmare these last two weeks. Very, very busy with work and just the commitment of that. This really had to take priority, which is, you know, the right thing to do. So I just haven't had any... It's more about headspace than time, actually, you know. And then I've been getting back into teaching again, which has kind of, you know, really refocused my mind and got my mind woken up again to to thinking th about things in the teaching where I've been really enjoying the teaching the last three weeks. It's, I've had a long gap, you know, because we this lockdown thing happened and then I don't think I'd really talked a lot about the teaching in the earlier episodes through sort of February, March and April, um, you know, cause we, we locked down middle of March and then lessons went kind of online then. And then, and then sort of academic year ended and, uh, and then we had the summer and it was all a bit weird and then things improved and then they'd gone downhill again. But the thing that I've kind of got back into full steam is the teaching because they've got new, loads of new students and we've, we've started back at college and the college is going full chat, you know, and it's great. And, um, you know, our students have all turned up and they're really into it and they're doing lots of things. And, you know, I've had some really good lessons already this year. I've really, really enjoyed the teaching. Um, and I'm doing it online because I've got this health thing, which is a real bummer, you know. It's made things really difficult in my sort of life at the moment. I'm not, you know, I'm not able to do any gigs. There's no gigs anyway, but 
it'd be quite challenging for me for me to do any gigs at the moment. There is one possibility of a gig in, in two or three weeks. If it, hopefully, if it happens, it's um, it will be a quite safe sort of socially distanced gig. It's in a very nice venue, and so that's going to be possible. Um, and I can still go into work and do bits and bobs, but this sort of the, the, the close teaching thing, I've been sort of you know, it's been something which I was just if I could just avoid the risk I was advised to and um, so just waiting for this kind of vaccine thing and all that stuff Um, but with my teaching my online teaching anyway I'm really organized and I've got I think I've got a pretty good setup here at home and you know I've even got I've got kind of multi got three four cameras now if I need them now for teaching I normally just use the two I've got the sort of face camera the talking camera and the overhead thing which if anybody watches any of my videos on instagram and stuff it's the same camera angle as that um, but i've also got this foot camera now which I, I don't i've not really used much um but i'm about to get another camera working i had another zoom and i broke the power supply thing on it so and that's going to be for foot camera so the kind of teaching setup thing it's just kind of it's really yeah it's just really important to have that set up and it's nice to be able to play when i'm teaching which I think I've mentioned previously, because normally at college I'm, I sit, you know, and watch the student play. I do get on the kit occasionally, but it's only one kit. The rooms are not huge, so it's um, you know. And I always, I always think you know the students should be playing anyway. That's my thing. But it's, this is nice. The online things and getting to play, you know. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, that's like another diversion. Um, so this thing about coming to the podcast you know coming to the space to this room um the drum shed you know there's always this analogy you know getting in in the shed it's a uh, it's a real thing in uh, music culture you know a shed in it you know and especially in jazz the sort of jazz culture and the sort of music conservatoire model you know um you know students shed it they get it they they go into the shed and uh, and they, and they work, you know, and they practice and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I and I literally do go into a um, well, it's, yeah, it's a structure that um, could be seen as a shed. It's a wooden structure in a garden. Um, it's a bit nicer than a shed. It's um, it is insulated and it's got power and stuff and lights. <clears throat> um, no running water or toilet though. That's the only downside. So I do have to go out to the house in the day. Um, but yeah, I come up here to work, you know, this is my place of work. It's, um, I get out of the house every day and I go to work and it's up to the end of the garden, up the cliff, up the steps in the quarry and up to the, up to here into the little, the little summer house. And this is where I spend my time working in the week. I don't come up here as much at weekends cause I do other things. Uh, but the week, yeah, I get a triangle up here. Uh, I do my two days. Monday I teach quite a bit, and Tuesdays all day, and a little bit on a Wednesday. So like tomorrow I'll be here because it's Monday night now. I'll be here all day, and but then when I come to these podcasts, there's this sort of thing of these layers of uh, what I think of layers of concentration. You know, there's like the thing of doing the podcast. So like I, I, the observation I make about myself um, is staying in a flow and whether or not I lose a thread and that tells me where where my kind of concentration is you know because it's like a the concentration thing is about lots of different layers isn't it concentrating it's sort of um 
part of the thing of concentration is is remembering what the hell you were talking about, you know. And I go on so many tangents um, that I have to, you know, I often have to retrace my steps in my head very, very quickly while I'm still talking to this microphone, you know. And so I have this sort of internal thing going on. I'm going, oh, I wish I could concentrate more and stay on you know, stay on the topic more. And people listening to this probably think it's just a nightmare. He's flying about all over the place. And, and then on the other side of it, it's like, well, actually, it's just coming into the space and spending some time talking to nobody down a microphone and archiving material and and actually just letting it be what it is, you know. And I have to remind myself sometimes that that's what it is. And it's, and that's really, for me, uh, that's the idea behind it purely. It never was never meant to be anything better than this or whatever that means or, you know, more pro, slick, organised. Um I did have a thing with somebody who, I think I've mentioned this before, somebody who listened to one of my episodes that was an interview and they messaged me and they were very, they were a bit critical, you know, about um, about the beginning of this podcast, this interview, and they made some comments about, you know, I was really excited and then it was like, you know, X, X minutes in, still no information, X minutes in, still you haven't said anything, you know. And my reply was, well, I wanted to do the classic reply that we used to say to people when we used to do this gig, a lot of us and any any of the us that are listening, which won't, probably won't be any of you, but, um, but any of the ones that listen will know this exactly and they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not going to say where it is because it was a very beautiful place and I used to love playing there and I used to love the person that owned it and it's a very, very special place for me. And uh, But... Some of the people in the audience were cantankerous arseholes and uh, they used to moan sometimes about the music, you know, um, and some of the music that I was involved in. Uh, and it was a free gig. They weren't paying. They were coming in to watch music for free, you know. And uh, it was in a pub, so they were expected to buy half a bitter, you know, which cost one pound probably and there was a hat that went around um you know like lots of these gigs is a hat thing and you'd have to put any money in it and a lot of them didn't but they used to complain about the music and my favorite line to them was always well you know if you don't like it just just get your money back and then you know then it's fine isn't it and they'd always look at you like uh right yeah fuck because it's like you haven't fucking paid, have you? You know, you, you come here for free. You've bought a, you, you know, you've got this landlord who's trying to run this business. You come in here, you pay a quid for half a bitter that you nurture all night, and then you leave and moan about the music. You don't put anything in the hat. It's like, what are you contributing? You know, nothing apart from negativity. And I had this same emotion when this guy sent me this message about this podcast, you know. And my response was um, was more polite than that, but I was, you know, it, it sort of rattled me a bit. But my main thing, I just said, well, you know, we were really proud of it. We were really proud of what we did. You know, we we we, we you know, we're friends, and we had a chat, and we recorded it, and we we released it so people could listen to it. And actually, if you really, really listen, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it. Actually, it's really long, you know, and just like just like go on the trip. 
And by the way, uh, like it's free, so what's your problem? And um, yeah, I'm not monetizing this thing, so I'm doing it. For, I'm doing it for free, and you're getting it for free. It's my time, you know. My time is not um, not valueless to me or to anybody else. Well, it's irrelevant to anybody else. Nobody else cares, do they? But you know, I'm, I'm making the time to archive some of my thoughts and, and concepts and things from playing and from teaching and playing with other people and music and life and stuff and uh and it's you know it's valuable to me um but it's also free so if you don't like it you can't get your money back because you haven't paid anything so just go away and just turn it off and don't listen to it you don't have to listen to it um and this person was framing this thing as giving me feedback, you know. And it's like, I don't need the feedback. I'm not asking for the feedback, you know. I don't I don't need someone to say, yeah, you could do it like this and it'd be better. It's like, I don't want to do it like that. and I don't want to do it better. I just want to do what I want to do, you know. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that when I'm sat here and I'm trying to sort of talk about subjects because I feel like, oh, it should be more focused sometimes. Maybe it doesn't go off on the tangents. And But just like thinking on my feet, I find it really good for me to to actually speak to a microphone and uh, with nobody here, you know, and stay on a topic. And it's quite cathartic, you know, and I'd recommend it to anybody that's listening. It's just like, just go for it, you know. It's uh, I've listened to some really weird podcasts, you know, people that are uh, just really, really, really are out there. And then there's this new, like, like this week I... Um, I didn't realise that Rational Funk... Uh, well, I didn't... Actually, I knew Rational Funk had come back because someone had told me, but I hadn't watched any of it. I hadn't had time. But at the weekend, I um, sort of jumped in at episode 70, I think, or something. So I'd missed about six episodes. And, and like Dave King, if you haven't watched it, it's even better, I think, than the original... The, the, the comeback series. But... Um, the first, I went back to the first episode, which was actually, it's part of the, I think it's part of the new season, but it was right back in 2017. It was, must have been after he just finished the original one, just after, um, I can't remember, was it David, I can't remember, was it David Bowie died or somebody? I can't remember. It was, it was the very end of it, it was very, very sad. It was, very, it was a very sad last episode, you know. Anyone hasn't seen that, they're just crying. Um, and I can't remember, oh, it's terrible. I can't remember who, who it is that died. I'm sure it's Bowie. Um, it, I mean, I'm not sure if it is actually. It might be somebody else that's a huge person that died. Anyway, there's an episode after that where they talk about this um, series that they did, um, this 20-episode thing. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it um, because I... Anyway, I bought it. And it's uh, $5, and then you can just watch all of it, you know. And it's like two and a half hours worth of stuff. Um, and it's just, like, it's really surreal. Um, and it's great. And I just love stuff like that because it doesn't require you to to follow it in a, in a way which is, like, in a sort of oh, logical way. Oh, this is happening now, and, oh, what's going to happen next? Ooh, it's, not, it's, it's just the vibe of it is connecting like for me anyway with a different part of my brain which which um with the abstract which i really enjoy you know and and so this kind of um i'm trying to remember the name of this blooming i'm gonna to have to tell you because 
I feel like in my memory, I should have, you know, the one thing that, like I was saying before about being organised with, um, you know, um, with the podcast is about remembering stuff. Um, but where is he now? Oh, yeah, it's for, it must be, I think 77 is the last episode, actually. But it's called... Um, something Cameron Jackson it's called um, it might be Lights Cameron Jackson actually like a play on the word you know light, Lights Camera Action Lights Cameron Jackson um, and, it's, and it's anyway yeah it's mega it's very very strange um, and I've just started watching that so and they're, and they're just short episodes they're like the rational funk thing they're like between sort of 7 and 13 the ones I've watched so far 7, 13, 14 minutes you know and um just really trippy and yeah yeah i think dave king is just um, i mean i think he's like i think he's a just a brilliant drummer he's got his he like when he plays the drums smile you know uh, and so does he because he's such a sort of just one of those kind of characters you know he's got a hilarious face absolutely hilarious face you know but um supremely talented gentleman you know so um anyway it's kind of getting back into that but yeah the sort of concept thing of of that part of the brain the abstract so i was kind of talking i've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks with a couple of students about soloing, and, and I've talked a couple of episodes I've done about soloing, and um, getting constantly getting into this kind of this thing of of how um, like things go around in circles or cycles, and you have these core values or core concepts, which along the way you you know you learn about and you develop and you you sort of understand and 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 they're great these things because every so often somebody will um talk about one of these concepts and then they 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 talk about a whole load of other examples of how you can use this concept or this material in another way and it's like oh wow it's like and it always reminds me of that thing where i used to be you know it's been like um when I used to have um, like a Sega Mega Drive when I was a kid, you know, like a computer game. And then you'd get the game and then you'd play the hell out of the game. And, you know, I, I, I was a couple of games I used to really like. One called Road Rash was a, a motorbike um, game where you sort of, you chase, you went through the, these hills in America, these like, and it's just like a, you know. Um, and I got really, really good at it. I, I, and then I found out there's these cheat codes and then you got these these special bike you know which was miles faster and uh and i guess i just got really good i used to play it for hours and hours that's like anything you just play you just keep playing you get really good at it you know there's no kind of surprise there <clears throat> but it, i always like this thing of like you play from it for ages and then suddenly you find out that there's some in a because he used to buy these computer magazines there'd be like these cheat code things like, oh road rash oh you put these you know he's put these codes in at the beginning and you get this secret bike you know or you get this secret stage or something because obviously the you know the computer programmers it's that's like it's the ultimate thing in it if you program a game and put a load of secret stuff in there and then you know it's that the, the people that really love the game really love your game will find all that stuff and they'll be so like they'll be so made up that um that you you know made the effort to sort of and it's the same with like concepts of um 
of learning things. And I, I always remember when, you know, the Ted Reed syncopation, that, that the concept behind using the syncopation sets two and then exercises one, uh, one and two, and well, one to eight, really. Um, you know, the da da ba 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 da ba ba da 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 you know, I remember when, like I, you know, I used, I practiced that and I was teaching that and stuff, and and then I did this workshop. So I did do it. I went to a workshop, a masterclass, um, a number of years ago. What John Riley was doing down in Birmingham, and I I went to have a lesson with him the day afterwards. But the, the I was invited to the workshop as well, and took some of our students with us, and uh, and John spent quite a lot of time talking about the uh the syncopation thing you know and he asked um he asked a couple of students about how they practiced it and uh, and he was asking he was asking me about how i practiced it and then he went off on this thing of talking about all these other ways that you could use that material and it was like one of those moments where you just go oh that's so many so many great things to not you know not only for me to practice but just that thing of for me to share, you know, because um, I think, you know, the thing about teaching or mentoring or tutoring or whatever you want to think about it as the, the, the most of it is about steering people, isn't it? In, in a, in a, in a direction that they don't wander around all over the shop. You know, it's just like, if you've got experience and knowledge that's, you know, that's useful, it's about sharing it in the most succinct way, you know? And, and so this week, because it's like the new academic year and I've got some new, new students, like the first year, so they're new to the institution and they're new to me, which is great. I don't get a lot of first years. Um, and uh, I really, you know, I just enjoy teaching anybody, but it's nice to teach some first years and they've got two guys this year, really good. And then I've got a load of new second year students and um, and also third year students because we do a three year degree we do a BA in music we don't do a four year course we just do a three year so it's one year sort of level six and that's you know enough for our students they really enjoy that sort of the, the three year route and a lot of them go on and do um, they do post grad stuff and most masters some stay with us and others go to other places Europe and places or down to London um, so and it's just kind of you know they um, it's just it's just a journey, isn't it? It's like getting on the journey, and the ones that really want to get in that journey—that's that's like that, that, that three-year thing really suits them, you know, because they can kind of get into the groove of the journey of life through music um, or in music and in learning, um, and that whole thing of of teaching music or teaching your instrument or sharing that time with people that are younger than you that are down the further down the timeline is um you know can often be for some people not something that they look forward to or that there's something that they think oh it's not really i don't really want to teach i want to just play and everything and that that was what i was like for quite a while but as a, you know, they've got sort of older, the value in um, the value for my for me, you know, in, in my learning, in how I learn through this this exchange in teaching, you know, and watching people develop and watching people um, how they understand these concepts 
and and when you go around sort of the, the the full the full circle so you can you know you can start early on with somebody and you go through this whole journey maybe through two years sometimes three um a lot of the time our students stay with a tutor for maybe two years and change for a year that's pretty common um that's why i tend to get some second or third years uh, but sometimes i get first years and very occasionally i have them for three years and but um they change you know after a couple of years and so you get this you kind of have this journey with them and at the end of it you sort of you can always track what their journey has been with you so far and you can think about how much of that information how much of the information you have to share that you've managed to share succinctly so that they understand it and they can remember it you know because um, if they can understand and remember it, they can self-learn, you know, they can use that. Because the, the Ted Reed concept, you know, the syncopation concept, you don't you do not do that concept in a year at college, you know. You, you, you practice it for the rest of your life, you know. And especially when you get to know about all these other ways of using that material, you know, the... Um, using it in straight music so to speak you know in funk and latin music etc not that either of those things are actually straight but you know but music that's not in six eight essentially um, because you know they're written in they're written in straight form aren't they those exercises that's how they're written they're written in quavers and crotchets in cut common time feel um like show it's like show music and you can play i mean those lines you can play them fast swing like that you know it's what tony williams the vibe tony's kind of vibe you know think about that played straight with a kind of straight straight symbol thing You know, that kind of with the bass drum or, or just doing between the short and long sounds between the left hand and the bass drum all those kind of there's so many different things and here you go you know the example here is like i haven't practiced all of that single lineage part of that concept you know um well that's an approach and the concept is just taking these patterns and using them in this way opens up all these like hundreds of doors because that's what it is you know the concept <clears throat> and the cycle with that is is how i revisit them with new students and what i've learned about teaching that material and trying to be succinct but also paced you know because there's a there's a difference between being succinct and being well paced, and I think if you can get the balance of that right, then you allow the student space and time in the lesson to explore what it is you're talking about, whilst you know directing them and making sure they understand what you're saying, that they're clear about what you're asking them to do, you know. And, and for me, that, that has many elements because it can be just about the way in which they're connecting with the instrument, whether where they're hitting the instrument, you know, if they're using too much force, um, you know, if they're, if, they're, if they're going in with with unnecessary weight, you know. Um, so 
<clears throat> and that's just that's a, that's a technique thing, you know. But it can it can often be shrouded or or in connected with, with within a coordinational exercise. But if I think about this, my my life cycles as a teacher, as a tutor, as a mentor, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I was reading about I was reading this Hal Galper book called Forward Motion, which is a great book. I've only just started reading it. I'm sort of middle way through chapter one. There's quite a long intro, and Dave Liebman writes a sort of forward and stuff. And but I've listened to a lot of Hal Galper workshops on YouTube, lots and lots of them. They've been really quite profound for me. They've been very very useful. Um, his concept, for instance, about using the natural sustain of an instrument to, to get uh, to 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 play in time and to use the natural resonance of an instrument to to play in time is like I found that absolutely fascinating, and it really made me realise why you know, like like for instance, why jazz drummers tend to find nice ride cymbals, you know. There's a sort of sound thing connected to it, that smoky, woody sound, you know, that sort of Tony 1960s sound or whatever it is, you know. But there's also a thing about something that's got a, a life, a sustained life about it, which will talk to you when you play it in single hits, you know. And so, anyway, yeah, listen to a lot of Hal's, a um, lot of the workshops that are on YouTube, <clears throat> and they're really good. Um but this book is a great book, and it's um, there's this thing about the the sort of because you know jazz is this interesting music. It's got this kind of African roots, six eight music, and this oral tradition from master to student, learned by essentially listening and copying, and by living in a community situation with your master. You know, living with them physically, living with them, and you know, doing all the chores with them and or chores for them. You know. And, and then, but but learning from them. I mean, I, when I was fifteen, I was very lucky. I was I was at music school, and I was when I was fifteen, um, a Kenyan master drummer came in and did a workshop, and um, me and my friend uh, Max Beasley, who um, is an actor now, lives in America. Um, me and Max were very lucky to go and play in this workshop, um, and uh, and he he was talking about how they teach and he said you know the 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 thing was uh, you know in puberty the the student would come to live with him and would stay with him for 25 years and not a day sooner would qualify or become a master drummer you know and then would then would basically be in his position and then would have students under him and that lineage would continue you know and so you got all that tradition and then you've got the Western European classical analysis tradition. You know, you've got that tradition. And uh, one of the, and this is maybe controversial, I think one of the great things about jazz education, uh, there's lots of things wrong with jazz education. I, I don't think I don't think jazz education itself is wrong, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of wrongness going on in jazz education. But I think one of the great things to celebrate about jazz education uh, and you can take as little or as much as this you can and I'm, I'm being you know I'm being diplomatic here but is the fact that you've got you can combine these two worlds of learning you know um, 
and and we've been able to do this for a long time because you know a lot of the books that are written about kind of African Afro-Cuban concepts and and Bembe and all that 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 information's actually been around for quite a long time and it's been and it's accurate information you know the the, the history and the, the lineage of it is good you know and it's not it's not the origin because you're not there so you, we we can't pretend I'm not going to pretend I'm there in any way you know like I love playing samba you know I'm middle aged fat white irish welsh anglo-saxon rooted man you know I, i've got nothing to do with south america and all that you know i'm not talking, I'm talking about recent history in my I, I don't have any kind of connection with i've got kind of you know there's no indigenous connection and I, I but i listen to a lot of that music and i love that music and i love playing it you know so i just do my best to interpret it you know i'm also lucky to have a friend, um, Sergio Gallardo, who's a, a good friend of mine who uh, lives in South America, is an amazing percussionist, a very, very well-studied man. Um, and he has helped me and taught me a few things, lots, some of them I don't understand. Um, he's a very kind and generous, um, patient human being, um, but very, 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 very uh, bright. And he's a master, you know, he's a master of rhythm and of all world rhythm. You know, I think that blew my mind about uh, Sergio was how much he knows about Indian classical tradition and conical and like he knows all about that stuff and he can improvise within those systems as well, you know. And, uh, and, you know, you really put me in my place about um, understanding Central and South American rhythms, you know, and I learned a great deal from him and a great lesson from him, you know. And, and it's, you know, you, and you can go really deep into that stuff if you, if you, if you want to go in that direction, you know. Um, but, you know, my thing is where I'm based, the, ge the geography of where I'm based, the music that I play, the music people that I play with, um, I'm deep into that, you know. So that's where I am, and that's what I celebrate. That's what I, you know, that's what I give to the world. And if people don't like it, they like, you know, and if they do like it, that's great. And that's what I share with my students, you know. But I can point. I can always point in in a direction. I think that's useful. And it's not it's not bullshit information, you know. It's it's information that is um, been come about through listening. You know that the tradition of of being open and listening to people and uh, and trying to understand what they're saying. And so this I've it's been an interesting few weeks for me this thing of coming around again to new students and revisiting explaining the concept looking at the way um looking at my own playing, you know, trying to demonstrate it and going, "Oh, you know, how on how on how on it am I at the moment?" That's, that's really hard to say. You know, am I really on it at the moment? Technically, well, it's not sounding too bad, you know, or whatever. And I've, you know, I've been pretty down on myself technically for the last kind of two years, I would say. But I've certainly feel that the last six months I've really pushed the technique back up the agenda again. Uh, I mean, it was something I was considering actually, like forgetting about altogether all because I could play well enough and. Yeah, you know, think about the music that I play and stuff, and uh, I was, and, and and having this conversation with you know with John Riley, when he, he was absolutely right, was the the, the the barriers are coordinational, you know, for me, and so it was like, well, I, I mean, I really, you know, I'm fifty, I should just spend the next twenty years, 
just working on coordination, you know, working on coordination of things. I've got enough technique to express myself, to my ideas. I don't feel frustrated with my own ideas. I feel frustrated when I listen to other people who sound amazing and like, oh, God, I wish I could do that. No, that's a totally different thing. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have an internal sense of frustration. I'm pretty happy with the sound that I make, particularly, you know, I've always had a nice sound, so I feel blessed in that respect. And I understand how to make a nice sound. I can teach it, which is, which is useful. Not a lot of people can, you know. Um, and so it's it was it's kind of an interesting, like, uh, balancing act there on that thing of do I, do I leave the technique or do I do I get back on it? And I made a decision to do both um, in um, in March or April. You know, the the commitment I made was to sit lower and to play, practice flat footed, and uh, and predominantly play flat footed as well. But but not be afraid to get the heel up and and but be a, be a, still be a decent height to be able to play with the heel up in the bass drum and and in the hi hat. Um, but just get a lot stronger practicing heel down, you know. Um, but the other side of it was to become to get become a better snare drummer again, you know, because I think I was talking about this last time or whenever it was. I've certainly been talking about it in the last few weeks with, with a couple of students who've got some technical issues and you know, they need to get their snare drum, just the fundamental core snare drum playing up, you know. Um, I think it's Ed Soph, isn't it, who said, you know, all good kit players, but I never good kit players a good snare drummer. And I, and I think... In jazz, I think that's true, you know, because I think it just requires this dexterity um, that I've kind of fallen in love again, to be honest with you, with, you know, I've found a happy place with it again. So these kind of, you know, these cycles and going full circle with these things, a lot of the time for me are, are these are these annual or, or, or two yearly events when I am reconnecting with my teaching in late September, early October, you know, um, and I'm very, you know, I'm really lucky because, you know, my my opening lessons with new students, they're pretty much always talking in some way about some kind of comping or independence or not not independence, coordinational or um, kind of balance of sound. Because that's that's coordination as well, you know. Um, concept, you know. I'm not I'm not sitting down very luckily and talking about you know eight beats and um, playing along with um, you know like smells like Teen Spirit or something, which is cool. That's great, but that's not you know that's not um, that's not the teaching that I um, I'm any good at, to be honest with you. It's not really, never really been the teaching that's been because I never really played that music. You know, I think you've got to be able to play that music to teach that stuff. And uh, and I, I I meet lots of drummers and that that you know that are into that music and they teach it and it's like well that's you know that feels right to me. Um, I only really teach you know what I understand. <laughs> You know, which might sound ridiculous, but it's kind of, you know, it's not necessarily everything that I can play, but it's stuff that I certainly understand and can communicate and, and even just open a door, you know, just to say, oh, yeah, you can do this this way and this that way as well, you know. Um, and also I, I liked this idea that I, I, sh I always share this thing of having, of people having 
different way into the same exercise, thinking about things differently. That's another thing that I have developed quite a lot over the years. And that's like another thing, you know, that I always remember that when I'm going around in the kind of cycles. Oh, yeah, 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 back to that again, because I've got a new student and they're struggling with this left-hand coordination thing. And, you know, instead of thinking about it as the pattern, they think about it in this way instead and blah, 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 you know, and, they, and it immediately unlocks it for them, you know. And you can see... There's just that moment in their head where they've got this like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, if I think about it like that, I can do all of this, actually. Well, it's not that it's done. It's the thing of, oh, people feel like they want to be able to practice something, don't they? They don't want to be like going, like trying to do something. And there's that word trying again. Just it, you want to be able to to get into it in order to learn to play it. You know, and, and learning to play it, it's got so many levels, hasn't it? You know, there's the sort of muscle memory side of things. I was chatting um, on Thursday, no, Friday. I've had these really, really bad shoulders for months and uh, it's all linked to typing for me. Um, I've not been sat, you know, at a desk at work. I've been here at home and, and my all my desks here on the tables we've got in the house and up here, they're just the wrong height for typing. And, and my, I've been not been very good, uh, and this is so, like, hypocritical with my drumming because I've got really good posture when I play, you know, really, really, and I get all my students about it and they'll all tell you, you know, how much I go on about holding weight and all that crap, which is all absolutely true. But then I just completely contradict myself when I'm typing and I'm in these positions where I'm typing all these emails all day and I get like, you know, 100 emails a day or something, replying to people and all this stuff. And I'm there with my shoulders up in it and like, and so I've had real problems with my shoulders and they've, that has led from my neck in the midst of my shoulders has led through down through the shoulder blade and it's into my elbows and I, you know, I've got had a lot of pain. I'm still, you know, still have got a lot of pain. But on Friday, I managed to go and see a genius um, physio guy, he's a sports physio guy, um, who I got introduced to through somebody I know at work, who's a very athletic guy. And he said, "This guy is serious. Uh, he's got um, demons' thumbs, you know." And uh, he saw I had a frozen shoulder about two years ago. I don't know why it happened. I just ended up with this frozen shoulder, probably to do with typing. And it was really painful. I actually couldn't play properly, which has never happened before. And uh, he cured it in, uh, well, the first visit cured it. it. It unlocked it properly. And then this, and I went back to him a, a week later Um because he needed to see me again for half an hour and then he he sorted it you know and uh, anyway so friday i went to see him i finally made an appointment a while ago and it's been touch and go about whether i could go and i was a bit nervous about going because it was you know sort of being you know, sharing a room with somebody for a, quite a you know, number of times someone i don't know anything i don't know anything about his circle and things and bubble but anyway it was fine um, but it was a really, really interesting conversation we were having about muscle memory. And, um, you know, in life, I, I feel very blessed in, in the work that I do and because I, I, I get to meet um, interesting people that are intelligent and have a lot to give, you know. They're, they're people that give. They're, they're generous with their... Um, they're generous with what they know in a non-imposing way you know they they they're they're willing to they're, they're excited to have a conversation about something you know it's kind of um 
just to share and connect with people, you know. And uh, and I had a great, yeah, while he was absolutely murdering me, uh, I mean, oh, it was real relief, you know, but it was horrific. And um, and it was, it really sorted me out. But I've, got, I've got to go back because it's still, you know, it's like I should have gone a long time ago because I've, uh, yeah, things have not been, not been great for probably about a year. Um, but they've certainly got, in the last six months since the lockdown thing, they've certainly deteriorated. Um, so, and I can play perfectly fine, by the way. So this is the, the hilarious thing about all this stuff. Uh, all the way through my life, apart from this frozen shoulder that I had, which was, I, I injured it. I don't know how I injured it, but I definitely, it was a proper injury. Um, but the, the uh, all the problems, whenever I've had any problems with like my arms and muscular or even tendon things, I've really sore tendons and shoulders and back and stuff always been out of play perfectly fine not not even thought or even have a, a any kind of inhibition at all or inhibit, inhibited in any way you know it's and, uh, and it's been the same the only thing i'm struggling a little bit at the moment my left hand is playing match grip because i've got very sore um the muscles and the tendons over the elbow have uh, been very tender you know so traditional grip in my left hand is absolutely fine i can just play normally and then i was having some problems a couple of weeks ago in my right but um, i did manage to sort of manipulate my shoulder a bit and then since friday since seeing this guy jan he's um, it's absolutely sorted me out you know my right arm feels really good and i'm going back in a couple more in a couple of weeks time to see him again um but one of the things we were talking a lot about is muscle memory you know and this thing of sort of neuroplasticity and stuff and just that thing about the layers of learning you know about when you when you get into something you first get into something and then when you next get in the next level of something and it's like that thing of the transcription concept you know there's the thing of like if you how deep do you want to get into transcribing because i think in in our culture this is one of the closest things to the african approach to the master student approach of the oral tradition of of listening and copying you know and in jazz one of the great parts of jazz kind of education one of the great things that we can do is is transcribe somebody else and there's so many layers to that isn't there you know there's like there's the sort of off the page approach of transcription um i remember perico sambe is a great sax player he's a i think he's spanish i think he's spanish yeah he lives in um, valencia valencia i think or barcelona or maybe it's valencia i'm not sure Anyway, he came to college once and did a workshop and um, he was talking about transcription and he and he put it so eloquently, he sung this phrase and he said, uh, this, if you, um, I'm not going to do an impression of him, by the way, if you, if you sing the phrase like this, this is what it sounds like in the book. If you sing the phrase like this, this is how Dexter played the phrase. It's the same phrase. Somebody's written it in a book, but what's not in the book is the inflection and the tone and the intent and all that, the emotion behind the notes. And we can only know as much of them as we can hear. You know, we don't know what he really felt. You know, he maybe felt nothing, but it sounds incredible. You know, the Halp Galper concept of um, you know, you know, don't get overexcited when you're playing, but be exciting. Um, so that people are excited by you, but you, you yourself, you keep calm, you know. And 
and I remember the way he described that was a real moment in again just in being lucky enough to be in that environment and be able to hear someone with his great experience and his great skill and knowledge and musicality and all that and to explain something that clearly and and that's the thing with transcription you know this the off the page approach anybody can like i mean i had this thing about people say oh you suddenly downloaded the transcription off the internet and then uh, you know they didn't write it out and i go well okay you know they've still got to play it and then it still doesn't sound anything like you know jeff tane watts or whatever it just sounds crap and if they'd if they'd written it out because you can hear if somebody's not playing it even close to the source or trying they're they're missing the point or they're just doing their own thing with it they're they're not trying to get close to the source they're just it's a vocabulary thing or something they don't want to sound anything like tain but they want to you know it's like doing the tain fives thing you know you want to put the triplet quavers into groups of five and and do the voicing round the the snare with the left hand moving onto the tom um thing you know and anybody who doesn't know what that is you you can find it out it's kind of all around the internet and stuff but just for instance like you know i, I learned that sticking and it kind of it came from tain you know it, it came from another source but it's from him and the sticking is that sticking and i don't know where you know i know where it lands in the triplet quaver on any point you know, after beat four and or four or, or three, you know, middle triple quaver freeway, it's going to land and all that stuff, which beat you need to start on to make it land on the, the swung beat of the sec, the next bar, you know, and all that mathematical stuff. But I don't, when I play that pattern, um, I don't even want to remotely sound like Tame because it's not a sound that I'm interested in. And I, I love Tame's playing, by the way. I absolutely, he's like amazing, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's not my sound. It's not the sound that I'm aiming for. But the vocab, the understanding of the vocab is very interesting for me, for instance, you know. So, um, so yeah, anyway, so there's that kind of, going around in the in, in 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 that kind of circular thing and that cyclic thing and uh and the concepts and so it, it kind of gets to that thing of of concentration you know and um and there's this yeah great line that i heard this week about you know concentration it requires you to have something to focus on now you know i know that sounds obvious um but so often people can make the mistake of uh i've got a new drum book great i'm going to be able to concentrate and practice things you know and then they open the book and they sort of struggle on with it it's like oh, this is just like really hard work why can't i get into this you know why am i not why is it not why is it not lighting my fire you know why is it i really was looking forward to this whole thing and and it's just not what i imagined or whatever you know and and i, and I think Part of the problem with that could be, maybe isn't, but could be that they're concentrating on the wrong thing. They're trying to concentrate on on what's on the page in the book. And maybe that's not actually what, what they're really into from the book, you know. Maybe that's not the thing that's really captured their imagination when they've... Um, heard people talking about this book or they've heard people playing things from this book or they've watched the dvd of the thing from this book you know um and 
I've I always this this funny relationship with books where um I think there's two kind of approaches with your drum books. You either do the book, like the stick control thing, you know, um you start at page one and you play it all the way through at, at one tempo, and because it incrementally, you know, gets quicker through subdivision, you therefore you just do the book at 80, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Uh, that's one that's one way of doing the book, you know. Or you do what a lot of us do, a lot of us drummers do, because you know, we you know, the tradition of, of sort of drum education is is from people that were not that well off and were very resourceful. And this is the whole Ted Reed concept thing, you know, those those syncopation set exercises, the you know, people had one book. And they they use that book to the nth degree, you know. And it's like the old analogy of people used to have, you know, vinyl records. So you listened and listened to your records until they were worn out. Or they thought you had the tape. You, know, you listened to the tape until all the magnetism had gone and it was, you know, and then... Um, and then you got another tape or whatever. And I, I used to obsessively listen to things because there was no internet. And I'm entirely like an old fart now, you know. But it, the, 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 the the concept nowadays is because you can basically get any book online. You know, you can download it, you can buy it digitally. And um, it's pretty cheap as well. And, and it's also, if you know where to look, it's probably free, uh, some things. Um, so it's... It can be like information overload, you know. And uh, this is kind of going back to my first episode, down the rabbit hole thing, you know. I'm sort of going full, full circle, ironically, episode 40 to episode one. But it's just you have these kind of cycles and again and again, you know, oh, yeah, 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 we're back to this thing of of getting the mileage out of something, you know, trying to get as much mileage out of an idea as you can. And in the transcription thing... That's what it is for me, you know, it's that layers of learning. You go, yeah, I'm going to learn the material. So you learn the material. Now, if you didn't write it out or you did write it out, if you downloaded it off the internet or you nicked it off your mate or you got it out of a book from a library or whatever, you've learned the material. Now, you know, why did you learn the material in the first place? Oh, because other people told me to. Oh, I was really intrigued. Oh, I heard this solo on a record. There's all sorts of different reasons. All those different reasons, I believe, will inform the next stage from that. And and I think if you if you're listening to something that you're really into, and the and the solo really grabs your attention, and uh, so you say so you did find a copy of it in Rhythm magazine or something. That's a British magazine for anyone listening in other countries. Modern drummer, you know, whatever. Um. And there was a copy of this thing in a drum magazine. And so you didn't write it out, but you had, oh, oh, that's that solo. Oh, I've been really into that. If you get into something that way, even though you've not written it out, there's there's a whole host of reasons why you've been drawn to that solo. It's something about that language and vocabulary that has kind of excited you, you know. But I think if you've written that solo out, you know, 16th note semiquaver by semiquaver or whatever triplet quaver by triplet quaver because for the same reasons i do believe that you're going to get deeper quicker into learning to play it and when i say learning to play it uh this is what i'm talking about these different layers and levels 
because you know, there's the sort of superficial way there's the way of just learning the values and, and, and getting around the instrument. And then there's like, okay, so what is X, Y, or Z actually doing at that point? How how are they making that sound, you know? Oh, how are they actually getting around the instrument? What's the sticking? Oh, oh maybe it's not singles. Oh, maybe they're doing this. Oh, maybe they're not even approaching that pattern that I know. They're thinking about that pattern in a different way, you know? And... That's where these these kind of layers, layers of learning come in, and what you're what you realise when you learn things. I mean, I'm talking about drums here. I don't really know about other instruments, but um, on the drums, you know, the the, the, the these are the big in transcribing. Um, these are the big challenges. You know, you've got the sort of what I call the superficial material, the kind of nuts and bolts material, the patterns. You know, what somebody's playing around the instrument. And then there's the sort of nuance, you know, and the nuance can be all sorts of different things. It can be there's, there's just the sound world of it. It can be the 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 technical approach. It can be the pattern approach, which is you know maybe not the same thing, you know, because you know obviously technique is is in hands and in the feet, um, but the patterns are not only linked to say rudimentary shapes they could be the patterns there's other sorts of patterns you know linear patterns and all those kind of things so um and then there's there's that whole thing of how close you get into the source material in relation to velocity and execution and articulation you know and and that's that's really deep stuff and in that process as you're practicing in that way and paying attention to the music that you're playing in that way, this is, um, you know, this is a whole process of learning that's, that's you know, even, like, way outside um, just, you know, just the kind of the thing of doing the transcription. It's, it's, made, it's helping you learn about all sorts of different things on the instrument, you know, it may be a thing of um, you have to play three rim shots on the trot but from three different patterns, but they've all got to be the same velocity. And anybody that knows me knows exactly which solo I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell you, but there's a specific solo which I know quite a lot about. And that that moment in it requires you to to be able to execute this rim shot at exactly the same volume but from three different patterns, three different rudiments or whatever, three different movements on the instrument as well um, because it's moving from different parts of the kit, you know. Because um, this is you know, the thing with drums as well, you've got the geographical, the landscape navigation of the instrument, you know, from point to point. Um, and I love, the, I love this concept of point to point within form and melody and also within the, the landscape of the instrument. I, I love talking about that when I'm teaching. And I, it reminds me of racing cars. You know, I remember when I was, um, I may have even mentioned this episodes and episodes and episodes ago, but there's, there's somebody that I used to see a lot when I used to, and I did a lot more driving, track driving years ago, and I used to see, I used to, I used to spend time, um, in fact, I went away to spa with a big team of people and this guy was with us. And he's a very interesting, very bright guy. And he used to race, you know, and he's, he's quick. Um, he's one of those people who weighs about 45 kilos, you know, super light, super fast, very, very, 
very very brave very great skill in the car you know and i've been out in the car with him a few times and he's a very very good teacher and one of the things he was talking to me about uh, was this point to point driving where you um you know he said you know you'd he'd walk a circuit in the morning before qualifying and um and he would he would always mitigate for rain poor visibility by by learning the track by apex and apex you know you know where the hell the track goes and you know contours of the track and cambers and stuff but also point to point and the point to point thing is not just where you break it's 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 just points in the circuit where if you can't see anything at least you know that if you turn in at this point, you're going to be somewhere close to getting near, somewhere close to somewhere close when you can't see anything, you know, driving in the rain behind, you You know, if you're racing and you're behind somebody in the rain, you can't see anything. You ever watch Lewis Hamilton or somebody, Formula One, when they're driving at uh, 300 clicks or whatever in the rain, you see what they can see. It's like they're not, these people aren't driving at speeds that any of us can comprehend, you know, and they can't see anything. And they're point to point driving, you know, they know, they know where they are and they've got a visual thing in their head, in their head of the circuit, you know, and the, the, the sort of the, um, and it's the same thing with, you know, with drums. It's that thing if you close your eyes on your own instrument and you realize how point to point you know everything, not just like where the symbol is, but actually which part of the symbol. You know which part of the snare drum, which part of the hi hat you're hitting, and yeah, it's not a massive area, but it's still this thing. If we do learn to have this kind of spatial awareness, you know, and then you've got the point to point thing in form, you know, where you're playing to and from. If you're playing within a form, music improvising within a form, you know, um, you may be playing from a sort of rudimentary or vocab-based thing, or you may be playing from a melodic structural thing and, and using melody to play from point to point. Um, but again, you know, it's just, it's another concept. And again, I found myself talking about those things again and, and, and having that sort of joyful thing of uh, being able to re-explain talk about something that i've probably talked about 150 200 300 times but it's never boring you know because it's because there's a there's this sort of inherent thing behind it which is wanting to get better at it myself you know so that view of if the more i can understand it the more that i can um communicate it more succinctly um, the more that I have listened to other people's ideas behind it all those things year on year they they present a clearer picture which you're able to share you know and uh, and yeah so the, the, there was this whole idea I was talking about earlier on about looking back to the podcasts in you know 10 years time or whatever if it, whatever it is and looking at the titles and going, maybe going back and saying, oh, what was the view then? You know, what was the view then? What's my view now? You know, like I might end up in 10 years time being a sort of progressive heavy metal double kick player. And I've turned my back completely on, on my own, the, the sound world that I live in and being a completely different sound world, you know, and there might be a whole host of reasons why that's happened, you know, but if that has happened, you know, it'll be, it'll be for the right reasons, you know, but it'd be, um, 
it'd be interesting to know whether if I was still teaching, whether I whether I had the same beliefs, you know. Because um, I don't think I'm thinking back about sort of core beliefs in teaching, whether anything's really changed. I think I think that you know I talked about this the early episodes of the foundation stuff. I think that maybe has been the one thing that I um uh share less now. Um and some of that to be honest with you is to do with time. Um to do with how much time one has um because that's slightly different these days than it used to be and and i think it's also to do with um just like a subtle change in the um in the actual content of um of just this of, the, of this book that I it's not it's like not a book it's a pamphlet really I have this joke about the pamphlet thing anybody that knows Kirby enthusiasm I've mentioned this previously who will know exactly what that is in relation to um, but I kind of have a subtle a bit of a subtle shift in that and then of course like I've, I've, I think I've talked about before that the foundation stuff is not in the pamphlet you know because um, the foundation thing was going to be a, was going to be a small like workbook thing uh, again like a more like a pamphlet actually but it was going to be something that a drummer could carry around with them you know it's supposed to be just like a, a 35 page thing that was you know in a5 you know because um, I remember doing a proposal at college there, were, there was these kind of professional development grants going out I put this proposal for which I, which I got not back for um, but it was to make the book you know I mean I was arguing at the time that the college should have a press it should have its own press you know it should be the Leeds we're now Leeds Conservatoire Leeds Conservatoire Press you know and I was saying then you're, the, the book that you can launch the press with will be my foundations book that no one will buy and that's probably why they said nah not interested in giving you five million pounds to make your stupid book um no it was nothing like that by the way it was i did a lousy it would have been a lousy proposal um fundamentally i'm not very good at stuff like that the, the kind of writing things down and mapping them to um you know to sort of academic things and about how they work within research structure and all that stuff um it's something that uh, i you know definitely w- i definitely wish i was better at but it's just not really i'm not really good at doing that kind of thing but I, the, the the value of it um at the time well i definitely saw value of it for my students a couple of the students that did a lot of those exercises of, of, of exceptionally good drummers now i would say and uh, it's not just because of those exercises by the way it's because they did a whole shitload of work uh but uh, i know that just talking to those people in a very open way and and getting them to you know to firstly you know be um to be encouraged by their own kind of a sense of wonder and exploration within the instrument and also just you know opening their minds to the concepts and ideas definitely helped um but yeah, the foundation thing is something I don't necessarily use now in my in any of my teaching really. But if people are interested in the in the um, in the material, I share it. You know, anybody ever asks me about it, and occasionally I get into conversations about it. But 
the idea really, um, I suppose, if you were to sort of the, the research side of it, was was that you'd I'd want really to work with younger drummers that that hadn't had this rudimental exposure, you know, like they've you know done the done the grade systems or whatever, and and you know learned rudiments or had classical lessons like I did, did Chaz Wilcox and rudiments from there, you know, these 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 were. These were young players that were that were pure of that in a way. You know, they hadn't been um, taken down that avenue. It would just be like just, a, but you know, and that would be the ultimate research, I think, to say, you know, oh, look at these drummers. This they did this system, and um, you know, by following this system, they can play any rudiment quickly. You know, um, having never studied rudiments, they can just go, oh yeah, yeah it was one of those. All oh, right, that's that pattern. Oh yeah, yeah, with that accent. Oh, with that flam. Oh yeah, well, that's easy, because they've studied the foundation system. You know, um, but the students that I, you know, the the undergrads that did those exercises years ago that when were, that were interested in them, uh, they, you know, the the concept behind those those um, te- sorry technical approaches and the sort of physics approach to those patterns really helped. I think it helped them. You know, and it definitely helped me, and I still do occasionally. I mean, I use those things to talk about. Um, they're all linked to kind of mold of things, really. You know, it's about efficiency. It's about using, you know, the input energy to get something uh, out of that input energy. You know, so as as you go to strike the instrument, if you're picking up to strike, you allow the stick to drop and tap on the way up. You know. So, and you're just using that free energy. And then there's, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which you can allow that stick to drop. You can, you can, you can make it drop by its own weight, or you can make it drop by intent, or you can make it drop by the next level is force, you know, intent, force, that kind of which degree is which, blah, blah, blah. So... Anyway, yeah, it's sort of more of a sort of philosophical thing, I think, today. But concepts, cycles and circles, and concentrating, and yeah, and, and so the thing with this, yeah, the thing with these podcasts is I realised that the, the the concentration element is just sitting down and pressing record and having the time and space to do it, and not to be so worried about oh, must stay on topic, must stay on this, must stay on that. It's just what it is, you know. And I think in practicing, because. You know, this great line of we're maybe not designed to concentrate in this way as a species has like made me think oh maybe yeah maybe actually why well, am I giving myself such a hard time all this time uh, about you know finding it hard to to concentrate 100% of the time for like hours on end you know um, so anyway finding things to concentrate on is really important a focal point just remember that in your day when you're doing something and you're struggling to kind of just to sort of see, you know, oh, which, what is it? Where is it? What's the thing am I doing? Find that focal point. There will be one, you know. It might not be what you think it is, but it will hopefully should help you stay on task and stay in the room and stay in the purpose of what you're doing, you know, so... So that's about it, really. Anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's turning into winter, isn't it? The clocks go back on Sunday, Saturday. Oh, God. Extra hour in bed, but, yeah, dark, dark evenings. 
Um, bit of extra light in the morning, but yeah, it doesn't last long, does it? And then we'll be into November, and it'll be my birthday, and I'll be 50, which is terrifying, which is just what it is, you can't do anything about it. And then it'll be Christmas. It's like, what? And that'll be the end of 2020, and that'll be the weirdest year, one of the weirdest years um, that any of us will, rem will remember. And uh, let's hope 2021 sees a um, a resolution or a an exit sign plan for this um for this situation that we find ourselves in you know it's tricky really tricky um i'm looking forward to gigging in 2021 <clears throat> my first gig is july the 21st i think that's my next gig in diary at the moment and um i'm genuinely hoping that yeah, by that time, things will be, it'll just be a gig, a normal gig. And I'll still be able to play with people and be able to play the drums and all that stuff, you know. I'll still remember what to do, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, just time off, just weird, just a long time off, you know. Our last gig was still 7th of March. Still remember it. Gary Jackson, Richard Weatherall, Ambleside, Zaffarelli's, 7th of March. It was a really nice gig. I hadn't played with Richard for a long time and Gary had just come back from Spain. And um, he's now back over here, living over here, but he'd been living in Spain for a year, Valencia. Um, so, yeah, it was a nice gig. That's my last gig. And uh, I really miss taking these beautiful Sonols that I just bought. I've not had them long and um, I've done a few gigs on them. And then the last year, well, so the end of, yeah, last year, um, and early in the new year and stuff, and just got them to sound nice. And then they've been, well, they've not been retired into the studio here, but I've been, yeah, you know, anyone that's been seeing many of my recent recordings and stuff, I've been using the Sonors as my as my in-house drums, and they sound amazing. I absolutely, every time I record the toms and I do anything, I just, oh, it's that sound that I've, always wanted it's a real woody deep sound that um, is very very dear to me and it's really deep part of my um you know of my kind of uh youth so to speak around that time of the, of the kenyan master drummer you know that similar period when i was getting into jack jeanette basically it's the same you know it's a very very sort of the african thing was very influential on me at that time you know and i was always i always felt bad when i watched this steve reich um steve reich um documentary that was on at that time and he, and he said you know all drummers should spend some time in africa you know and i was like oh, yeah <coughs> i haven't um yeah i've never i've never done that yeah never spent any time in africa still haven't and it's like yeah and then we're back to the Brazilian thing again. It's like, well, you know, it's like I listen to a lot of that music and, you know, and uh, love those rhythms. It's like you can hear it. You can hear it. If you've got your ears open, you can hear it, you know. So you just do what you can do. You bring what you bring to the table, don't you? And um, you should always be celebrating that. So you just got to do your own thing and, and uh, love and celebrate the stuff that you hear. So, um, anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening if you have been. And, um, well, fingers crossed, 
I don't really like to make these announcements, but I'm gonna. I feel like I'm just paint, painting myself into a corner here. Um, fingers crossed. This week I am doing a in, an an interview. There you go. Get to me uh, me ands and me vowels right. An interview with an old friend. That's possibly a part two interview, which we have made an arrangement to do. But um, let's see if the weather holds out because we've got to do it outside in the current circumstances. So that's going to be, well, I'm hoping that's going to be this week and that'll be next week's episode, which I'm really hoping uh, happens. Um, So, yeah, don't know if it will be but um, keep your eyes peeled for that and I'm um, really looking forward to um, to that it'll be part two which I've mentioned several times so you probably know who that is if you're listening and you've paid any attention so anyway thanks a lot um, back next week in some guise or other so bye for now <laughs>